Stuart Lennon. TJ Cosgrove. We always start by saying each other's respective names. That's uh, that's how podcasts go, right? Uh, the, apparently, it's in uh, it's in page three of lesson one. I've got little blue uh, mountains here. It's all good. No, I have. Uh, there, there, it's like mountains on a lake because it's a double reflection on the the waveform on my monitor. That's what I love about you. It's that artistic bent. <laughs> I've been called many things. <laughs> that is one of the more pleasant things. <laughs> Well, they, it's been that sort of day, has it? <laughs> oh, well, I'll just, I'll, I'll, a little bit of ASMR. Let me quickly just. Oh, oh yes. It's proper stuff. I probably blew out the mics, but. <sighs> Cheers to you, sir. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. So, my <laughs> bottle um, was already open. No, you just clinked it. That's okay. Mm. It's as hot as Hades here. Mm. Oh, yeah. I, I'll get an update for you while you're melting. Oh, have you? Oh, okay. We're actually we're at eighteen point seven. That's quite toasty for here. Oh, right. Oh, okay. No, we we, we um, <laughs> currently right now um, it's uh, twenty eight degrees, which is oh, eighty God. Fahrenheit. Um, that's ten o'clock at night. Mm. Uh, it is. It is not good sleeping weather. No, I can imagine. Uh, uh, on the golf course today, uh, I, I think we hit about 38, 39 in the shade. What? Oh, that, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <that's>, well, <laughs> uh, next week, next week, everybody's getting it. Huh? Spain is expecting 45 degrees in northern Spain. That's how you cook chicken. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's proper, proper warm for Jim. Ah, still, I can't complain, mate. I spent the morning on a golf course mm. catching the sun. Um, and being interrupted generally. briefly by me. Oh, time zones, yes. Yes, we, we're going to have to do an episode on time zones. <laughs> yeah, I frantically, frantically, um, this is a peek behind the curtain, frantically messaged Stu this morning about, I don't know, 9.45 my time. So 10.45, 11.45 your time? Correct. Just before lunch. Uh, Stu, I think the episode's broken. It's not gone out yet. I set it to go. I'm not. I'm in work now. I can't make it work. Can't, I might. Uh, can you? Panicked, and you had a little look, and very, very kind of relaxed and suave. And yeah, well, I'm golfing. Let me. Yeah, I'll check it out when we get sorted out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then about five minutes later, yeah. Um, give it three minutes, and then the episode was live, and it was like, oh. Okay, time zones. Yeah, still catching me out. Still catching me out. UTC. Gosh darn it. Yeah, in fairness, uh, the the host that we use does everything in UTC except the things that you see. So <laughs> you think that it's in the same time zone as you. Yeah. Because it tells you, your computer is saying to you, it's nine o'clock. But actually, when you look, dig, dig down into the, the publishing details, it's UTC. <laughs> tricky eh? yes the brad episode went live this morning uh through uh some relaxation techniques provided by you and some frantic panicking by me it all worked out all right on the night (laughs) and yeah hopefully everybody enjoyed the the episode with brad it was really really good fun to record uh really interesting chat and uh we're back it was was great fun wasn't it it was good and it's just back to two i'm sorry if that's the kind of podcast you want, I'm sorry, Brad is not a, a regular feature, unfortunately. We can't take up that much no, of his no. time. 
Although you can find him at the Pen Addict. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, I guess they have a podcast as well. You might have heard of it. <laughs> Does okay, I think. He's been around for what, a fortnight or so. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if they've got the, the dedicated weekly episodic releases that we do, but whatever. You know. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's <laughs> tough. So, writing. Right. Oh, writing. Yes. Uh, well, as it was all very pen last week, um, I'm I'm with a pencil. I've got a Blackwing eight mm. eleven, which um, up until a couple of days ago was the new release. Um, now there is another new release, which I dare say we may cover later. Um, which I'm using in my little podcast book, the Elements book, uh, and uh, I've changed fine liner. Oh dear, the <laughs> excitement um, for my. Uh, for my bullet journal and stuff, and I'm now using a Pilot V5 high-tech points, which is quite a nice pen, actually. They are nice. Um, which, uh, yes, I'm quite pleased with that. Um, but that's about it for me, really. What about you? What are you doing? In a shock upset, I was using a pen most of today. Good Lord. Mm, mm, times are hard. No, uh, I was writing notes, and I came across this in the stationary orphan bin and adopted it for my own. It's a black Bic four-color pen. I'm not sure what the technical name is. Maybe it's like a pro or something. I don't know, but it's one of the the big four color pens that you. And it's got the four things around the barrel with the different colored things, and you can click. Okay. I'm, yeah, I'm making thumb motions, but that's not entirely helpful given this is a podcast. But um, yeah, I find one of those, and it's green, black, blue, and red. And yeah, I'm really enjoying using it. It's good little writer. It's it's a big pen. It's exactly what you expect it to be, uh, but. I find myself when I'm making notes, I had a meeting with my boss this morning, I was making notes and just flicking between the colors on every other line. So I'd write a line of notes and then just click the next one and write a line of notes. And so I get this nice sort of technical or dream code of page, which is quite pleasant. Uh, not something that pencils can do, unfortunately. That's true. But it so. is it is a Bic. <laughs> I clicked the Bic. The Bic you and I clicked. clicked the Mm. Well, that's that's going to be fun on the microphone. <laughs> All those plosive, plosive tones. Yeah, absolutely. A struggle. What about watching? Have you been watching anything? Uh, yeah, my, my show notes just went dark. That's a good sign. No. I think the, the Mac went into sleep mode. Hold on. Get awake. <laughs> uh, yes, I did. I watched Toy Story 4 the other day. That was my cinema visit. Um, oh, have you seen Toy Stories? Uh, I've seen I've seen the three I think yeah yeah uh, so this is the fourth um, I was a little tentative going in I was expecting it to be you know when they reboot a, steer, a series or a story that doesn't really need rebooted and kind of just mm-hmm. um, flagrantly injure the deceased equine you know that kind of thing absolutely um, I was expecting that a little bit I was a little worried because Toy Story is a great story it's from my childhood I very much enjoy it um, but yeah, the, the fourth one was really, really good. I don't want to spoil it, but uh, the story was interesting. The background in the world, given it's Pixar, was very well researched and really nicely rounded out. And there's a lot of stuff in it that I kind of went, oh, that's that's referencing this and this is a reference to that. And there was a lot of really fun subcontext in there, which was really good fun. Uh, and the story was good. And, and as always, the voice acting and animation were, were excellent. So I was suitably impressed. Fantastic. Jolly good then. More value for that big cinema ticket. Although, only one movie this week. <laughs> only one movie this week. Um, I think I've seen four or five this month. 
Okay. So, so, so not still quite seven. Well ahead. There's two I want to see, so I'll get onto them when I see them, but there's two more films this month, I think, at least. All yeah, right. Okay. Good. Well, I watched um, Lady Bird. Have you, have you seen that? I've heard um, of it, but never seen it. Uh, Saoirse Ronan. It was, oh, uh, yeah, I suppose, yeah, yeah. her big break to a certain extent. Um, I, I don't know. I, perhaps I was spoilt because the reviews I'd heard were, you know, this is this is groundbreaking. It's great, and I, well, it it wasn't really groundbreaking. Um, <laughs> it was fine. Yeah, exactly. It was it was fine. Um, uh, uh, Mrs. Lennon, film critic that she is, turned to me after twenty minutes and went, "It's not very good, is it?" <laughs> uh, which is usually her way of of letting me know that uh, Facebook is about to get a pasting. Um, so yeah, she kind of just lost interest in it. Um, well, other than that, I watched a bit of tennis because uh, come on, Andy. Uh, Andy Murray is uh, is back playing tennis after his hip operation. The the great Scottish hope, um, but only playing doubles, uh, but winning. First time out, and uh, won the Queen's Tournament doubles with with the same fella that won the singles, which makes you think that it's a good choice of partner, really. Um, and that's, that's me, really. It's been a bit light on the telly front for me. Mm. Uh, listening, then. You've been listening to anything? Yeah, listening to Mission to Zix, which is the sci-fi podcast. Um, mm-hmm. I'm in between, we'll get it on to reading, but I'm in between books. And I'm, this is one of the few times where my credit has elapsed for my Audible book before my new one is ready. And so I'm just chomping at the bit. I want to start this new book, but I don't want to I don't want to jump the gun and buy more credits because they're, they're literally like three or four days away. So it's sure. kind of just podcasts to fill the void. Ah, okay. Well, uh, if you're looking for one, uh, Desert Island Discs. I'm sure you've heard of that before. Mm-hmm. Um, they, their latest... Uh, episode was on Nigel Owens, who's perhaps not somebody that you're familiar with. Um, no. He's a rugby referee, um, and he's he's quite a diminutive Welsh chap. Um, and when I say Welsh, I mean he is proper Welsh. There's lovely look you from Wales. Uh, oh yes, from Welsh Wales. Um, <laughs> and I mean the first thing is he's a superb referee, um, and he's got this great sense of humour. Um, there, there was one uh, episode in the last World Cup, the last World Cup that was played in uh, in England. Uh, quite a lot of football stadia were used, including St James's Park, which is where Newcastle play. Mm-hmm. And the Scottish fullback, who's a very good player, uh, called Stuart Hogg, um, tried to sort of buy a penalty. He sort of intimated that he'd been tripped. So he dived in the common parlance, <laughs> which is uh, which is more of a football move than a rugby mm. move. And Nigel Owens, as he ran past him, ignoring and not giving a penalty, said, if you want to do diving like that, come back here next week. This isn't football. (laughs) Which which is sort of, that's the exact reaction that every rugby player in the world had when they saw him dive. Yeah. Um, But it was just very wittily done and there was no need for any further sanction. It was dealt with. The player was embarrassed, won't do it again. Perfect. Um, But uh, Nigel Owens um, was a troubled youngster. Um, He uh, was very into rugby. He was a player uh, before he became a referee. Um, And as he grew up, he discovered that he was gay. 
Now, when he was growing up in the environment in which he was growing up, which is a rugby-mad sort of mining Welsh community, um, that there's a sort of running joke in the UK about the only gay in the village. Um, yeah. And that that would have been, you know, very much his situation. He must have been incredibly isolating. Um, and it led to all sorts of complications. He ended up with bulimia. Um, oh, wow. And he tried to take his own life. Um, and then he, after all of these things, he came out to, uh, first of all, to his parents and then to the rugby world. Um, and it was a real um, sort of junction point for rugby, which is you know traditionally seen as a very macho sport. Um, involving lots of men drinking beer and behaving badly and being uh, sort of everything phobic, to be honest. Um, and, well, who knew? It turned out that rugby players were not at all homophobic and the rugby community uh, well, reacted as exactly as one would hope they would. Uh, mm. And it became a non-issue really, really quickly. Um which is fantastic. And just to hear him speak very eloquently about that experience all the way through. Um, just fabulous. It's about a 45-minute podcast. Um, oh, okay. Have a, have a listen to that. It's br- I mean, Desert Island Discs is great anyway, but the podcast is not allowed to play the music so because of rights oh, issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get about sort of 15 seconds of their, of their choices, um, which is a bit disappointing, but there you go. Um, it does make it a very uh, compact listen, as it were. Interesting. It's a good way to release it, actually. Sorry? It's a good way to release it, actually, because that's kind of, that's obviously from a real show where they've done Mm. it on the air, but then sort of compacting it down and getting just the the editorial bits is is an interesting way of packaging radio. Yeah. Well, I mean, they they say it's for rights issues, but maybe you're right. Maybe it is editorial as well. Um, What about reading? You reading anything? Oh, you just touched on that, didn't you? Yeah, I just touched on it. But I finished Outland by Dennis E. Taylor, which was great. It was about volcanoes and parallel universes and uh, various other things that I'll not get into to spoil it. But it was really good. Dennis E. Taylor's an author that I really started to like in the last year or so. Uh, Mm -hmm. This book was, I think it was one of his earlier ones. I think it was written four or five years ago. Uh, But it was only adapted to an audiobook very recently this year. So it was a weird... Like his, he did a trio of books which were very, very good about um, artificial intelligence and brain uploading and self-manufacturing factories and that kind of thing. And those mm-hmm. were his books that I started on, so I read all three of those. And these sort of are after, chronologically, Outland. So he wrote them afterwards, I think. But they were released... The other way around. So I think Outland was released as a normal book, and then it was they came back and did it as a an audiobook this year because of his success with his other audiobooks. So it was an interesting uh, listen because the story was great and I really enjoyed it. But as an author, he's definitely grown, and so there were moments where I thought, "Oh, it's a little clunky," or "That's interesting that that's not the way I think he'd phrase it now, having read three of his books." Mm-hmm. Uh, it was an interesting sort of insight to an author's progress and and sort of craft where things that were a little clumsy or felt a little contrived were kind of ironed out whenever you write more books and it's that thing i've talked about before where you got to make a hundred crap films before you start making okay films and -hmm. it's kind of he earned his chops writing books and you can see it you know the, the more books you listen to the further along the chronological 
you know, release of those books, the better mm-hmm. they get. But sure. I really enjoyed it. It was good. Um, one to listen to anyway, about 12 hours, so not too long. The next one is probably three times that. It's a Neil Stevenson book, who we talked about last time. Very, very long-winded author. Loves loves his page numbers. Loves to get up there towards the thousands. Um, so the next book is called Fall or Dodge in Hell. And it's a sequel to a book that I really, really enjoyed that I talked about in the podcast ages ago called Reemdy, uh, which is a typo on Readme. Um, sort of a techno thriller type book. This one's a bit more transcendental. I think it's a bit more weird and out there, but sounds amazing. Uh, the author is fantastic. I know whatever he writes, I'll enjoy. So I'm waiting until I think it's the 28th. So four days from now is when my next Audible credit rolls in and I will be listening to that. Oh, fantastic. Well, it's, it sounds like you've, you're at the perfect perfect spot where you're just waiting for something to come in mm. Mm. right 17 minutes i'm gonna to have to call you back in two minutes tj <laughs> okay sorry mate god has laid his hand upon me I'll be right back. <laughs> yep so come here often You right? Ah, good heavens. Well, I didn't press stop on my recording, so there's a big, big empty bit in my recording. Ha, there we are. <laughs> well, I drank a bunch and sneezed once, so it's very interesting for the last four minutes. Oh, right. Okay, yes. Well, <laughs> good Lord. Uh, well, I don't know how it was for you, but it was great for me. Ah. <laughs> <Yeah, yeah. laughs> uh. Uh, so without going into detail, that's one of the downsides of exercise in the heat. Right, so uh, I'm going to say, what are we now? 22 minutes and 10 seconds. And I'm going to say, I'm reading a uh, very similar experience to yours, actually. I've spoken about her on the last few podcasts, Lena Alina, mm-hmm. um, who's the lady who's got the olive oil thing. Um, I'm now reading her third book. So I've read the last two over the last couple of weeks. The first two, sorry. Uh, and exactly the same thing. You can you can actually detect the sort of... Um, the way I, I spoke to her about it, and I, and I said to her, she seems more comfortable in her writing. Yeah. It just flows that little bit better. There are less, I suppose, clunky bits. Um, and, and for her, she uses um, very much the same setup where she has these sort of mixed timelines. Mm-hmm. Um, and, well, guess what? Uh, third time, she's getting good at it. Um, <laughs> but it's great because it, it a lot of the locations are places that I can visit. That's um, cool. Places, places that I know. And because some of the stuff is set uh, in, you know, very up-to-date, uh, 2013 is one of her timelines. So, you know, I, I can actually still go and see the storefront she's talking about, if you like. So uh, it's really cool. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, only, oh, I don't know maybe 10% into that one at the moment. Oh, okay. uh, but I have a good a, bit to go. Yeah, I have a feeling it'll be done by next week. It's one of those where, you know, it's, I suppose, a sign of a good book. You know, I want to know what happens. Yeah, tearing through it. Right, drinking. Mm-hmm. Well, what are you drinking, TJ? I think we heard it well, opened earlier. I opened it at the start. Yeah, it's a it's a Bud Light. It's a Bud Light. Well, there you go. There you go. Oh, I wonder if you... 
Can you hear that? Sounds like ice. That that was just the top coming off the uh, off the brandy. Oh, yeah. Uh, Cypriot. Yeah, it's it's sorry, I can't call it brandy. It's against the law. It's a Cyprus <laughs> spirit. Ooh, um, spooky. Yeah, to call it call it Cyprus brandy, it's got to be more than forty percent by volume, and this is thirty two percent. Shocking. Um, there you are. Yes, with a lot of ice. So you will hear the ice machine, as I've noted on some of our recordings that we often hear. You'll hear a lot of it tonight because whew, it's hot. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So buckets of water uh, with the occasional uh, adult beverage, just to keep me keep me sane. You know. Oh God, where are we go buying. What are you buying, TJ? Yesterday, I bought a rake, some tent pegs, and some garden twine. Because I'm apparently 74 and gardening in my little garden patch at the bottom of the tenement. What are the the tent pegs for? The tent pegs and the garden twine are for delineating the areas of my garden where I'm going to liberally apply turf. Is your garden sufficiently large to need delineating? Mm, Yeah, it's actually quite sizable. Yeah. It's not a bad size. It's currently all stones, which is crap. Um, mm. And I want it to be less stones and more plants, I guess, or grass. Or right. It's just so something you're, you're that's not. Marking out the beds and all that sort of groovy jazz. Starting to, starting to. I, I really underestimated the number of stones that I own. So I bought a house, but in reality, I bought stones. I mean, it is just t- literal tons. Like, I'm not even being exact. It's not an exaggeration when I say tons of stones. I mean, literal weight measure ton bags of stones probably 40 or 50 um they're everywhere they're in the back garden all the way around the house down the driveway and my driveway is maybe i don't know four cars five cars long mm-hmm. so it's a lot of stones so i own more stones than anything else in my entire life um and i need to move them around various areas of the property and I was like, yeah, it's ground up by a rake and I just kind of scoot them over here and get down to the, you know, the sort of black weed liner material they put down before they put any kind of bedding material down. I thought, yeah, I'll just get back to that. I did one square meter behind the um, boiler house and it took about 40 minutes and uh-huh. it's not even completely done. And it was like, oh my, these are so many stones. Uh, it's a I, lot of stones. You're yeah, to I vastly. Sculpture. Vastly underestimated the number of stones it would take to move. So yeah, that's fun. July is going to be good when I start to do that. But yeah, trying to delineate where is going to be turf, where is going to be garden beds, where is going to be potentially a deck. Lots of things to be done, but I kind of want to mark it out. And then my lovely fiance can take those measurements, put it into Illustrator and start drawing it. So we can then work out how many planks we need, how much turf we need, you know, sort of approximate costs and things like that. So she can do a nice mock-up of that. Very cool. Exciting, but quite a lot of work, I'd say. Oh, God, so much work. <laughs> what about you? Uh, well, I, I was initially, I was going to say I'm not buying anything, but um, I, I am. I'm going to buy a thing called a club glove. Uh, club which glove. is, yeah, it's, it's an American uh, uh, thing, uh, brand. Uh, they make flight bags for golf bags. Okay. So you take your golf bats or clubs, as uh, as the purists like to call them, and you put them in a bag that you either put on a trolley and push around in front of you, put it on the back mm-hmm. of a cart, or in my case, sling it over your shoulder. 
Those, those little bags that are, are fine for golfing with, but they cannot withstand uh, the rough treatment they get from baggage handlers. So <laughs> uh, in true uh, capitalist fashion, the way that we've solved this conundrum is to then buy another bag, a bigger oh bag that you put the little <laughs> bag in. So you put your golf bats in your golf bag and your golf bag into the club glove, which is a big padded bag. I'm going to Google this. Uh, that you can then tighten up and uh, do all sorts of groovy stuff with. And it's basically just a very heavy-duty golf club-shaped duffel bag. Yeah, it looks exactly like that. That's what you've described. Yep. Well, I've got one uh, in bright yellow uh, with my nickname El Bandito, which we'll go into another time, um, written on it. And I, it's lovely. It's great. Uh, and then my wife started playing golf. And uh, for reasons that will become obvious a little bit later in the podcast, uh, I need another one. So that's my my plan for after this podcast is to uh, work out whether I can get a club glove delivered directly to Cyprus uh, or whether I have to risk the wrath of Claire by getting one delivered (laughs) (laughs) to the UK. So get that into a UPS parcel. Um, Good luck. Yeah, exactly. So we shall see how that goes. Um, well, I suppose that leads me uh, into the the life changes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been it's been quite a week for me uh, to the extent that I'd forgotten what had happened. Wow! Uh, and so so I init- initially I wrote down that uh, you know we've made plans for New Year's. Uh, we're going to go to Turkey with a bunch Ooh, of friends. Nice. We're going to a place called Belek, which is uh, is a lovely resort near Antalya. Uh, and it's it's kind of Europe's Turkey Europe. I'm just pushing it a bit, but you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> Europe adjacent uh, golfing heaven. So, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. The the uh, the hotels and the resorts are all uh, all inclusive, uh, and they all have golf courses attached to them. Um, and from the point of view of a sort of Western European pay packet, uh, they're quite cheap. So. Uh, we're going up with a bunch of guys and uh, well, guys and girls from here um, that we play golf with regularly. So, yeah, that should be quite a lot of fun, I would imagine. And why I need to buy another club club. Uh, getting to Turkey from here is a little bit more complicated than, than perhaps one might imagine. Because if you mm. don't know the history of Cyprus, it is currently part of the island is occupied illegally uh, by Turkey. Uh, and the... Republic, where I live, and the occupied lands, uh, they have a big border down the middle, you know, sort of guys with guns and stuff. Uh, things have sort of mellowed over the last few years, and, and more and more people do cross, but I will effectively be um, leaving and arriving on Cyprus through an illegal port, as far as the Republic is concerned. Oh, well. Uh, so what I have to do is I have to drive my car up to the border uh, where I can purchase car insurance because normal car insurance won't work when you cross the border. Uh, so I pay, I don't know, 25 euros for that uh, for a month and then drive to um, what the Greeks would consider an illegal airport uh, where I can then fly directly to Turkey because you can't fly to Turkey from the Greek side of Cyprus. Which is all, it's all terribly tiresome, but 
clearly indicative of a bigger problem. Mm. Um, so yeah, that'll that'll be sort of fun and interesting for all sorts of reasons, I suppose. Um, and I thought, oh, there we go. Um, but then I'd forgotten how far we'd got with the with the tire. I remember we mentioned the tire last time, where I had I had this little puncture yeah. thing and the bank holiday, and yeah, it was all a bit tiresome. Well, it turned out that I needed two new tires, which I kind of expected because if you change a one tire on an axle, you should probably change both. They should equal wear patterns etc etc and i've got a big bmw Uh, and as you all know bmw stands for bring my wallet um (laughs) and so uh, i'm now 620 euros poorer (laughs) um and and that's just for two tires uh dear two very swish bmw run flat super duper what's it who's gonna flip blah 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 tires so that was a bit tiresome and that that annoyed me um but still we sort of we sort of got through it all and then um we were coming back up the mountain uh from having been down we'd gone down into the village to replenish my cash stock i keep a little cash stock for things like tires um and it had been wiped out so we went down to the atm and then we were driving up the mountain to go to our usual Tuesday quiz. I swear to you, I've never seen anything like this before. Margaret was driving, um, and in front of us was a little hatchback. Um, I, 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 maybe a Toyota, something like that, Toyota Yaris, just a little you know, yeah. standard hatchback. And coming down the mountain was some sort of saloon, I'm going to guess, uh, Toyota Corolla. Um, and... Uh, again, for American uh, listeners, we drive on the left in Cyprus, so the sort of the UK system, uh, which you guys would consider the wrong way around. Um, <laughs> as we're driving up the mountain behind this Toyota Yaris, the Corolla turns literally 90 degrees right for no reason that I could discern. Crosses the white line, broadsides the Yaris, which literally flies sideways um, off the road. Now, um, most of the, the mountain road has a ditch either side. Um, through through the grace of God, this bit actually had a sort of runoff, a bit of wasteland. And so the, the, the Yaris just completely lost any forward traction, went sideways, bang, landed on the, uh, on the, uh, we call it the Bondu, but the, the, the wasteland. Um, Margaret instinctively braked, obviously. Um, I reached for the, for the hazard lights. Um, and, uh, well, I, I just jumped out to go and see what I could do. So I ran up to the guy in the Corolla who'd, who'd got out of his car and was on his phone, um, phoning the emergency services. And I said to him, are you okay? Uh, which he probably found a bit odd given that he lives in Cyprus and he was kind of expecting me to speak Greek. Um, but, but once he, once he sort of, you, know, you could see, see the cogs turning, he went, yeah, I'm fine. Um, the front of his car was gone. The crumple zone had just completely gone. Uh, I, he was doing quite a speed, I would say probably, I don't know, 60 miles an hour, something like that. Um, the, um, the Yaris, uh, I ran to that and the driver was, uh, was a woman, I guess probably in her twenties, maybe her thirties, um, who was, uh, in shock. Uh, she was making a lot of noise, which was great. Um, I mean, she she was quite unhappy, <laughs> not surprisingly. Um, and she was, you know, she was in shock. The uh, 
uh, the airbag had deployed, so that had sort of blown up in her face. Mm-hmm. And she was, she was, uh, thanks be to God, she was wearing a, a seatbelt, so she was basically sort of braced into the seat. Yeah. Um, but her door, uh, her her bonnet did didn't exist anymore. Oh uh, dear! C- completely gone. Her windscreen had gone. Both her side windows had gone, and her door. Um, I tried to to pull it open, and if you imagine pulling on the top of the the window frame, um, I bent that down to the <laughs> to the <laughs> to the to the handle. I was like, oh, uh, that's not not moved us forward in an enormous amount. Um, it was just just rammed in there. There's smoke uh, pouring out the engine, so there was a reasonable amount of urgency in in getting her out. I mean, I y- yes. I don't think anything was going to explode, but um, I didn't particularly want to hang around and find out. So um, eventually uh, I and another guy went round to the passenger side and we managed to get her out that way. Um, and as far as I could work out, all the bits were still connected. You know, she still had legs and arms and, and they were all moving. And you know, there was no sort of physical sign of any, any damage to mm. her. But clearly she was really, really shaky. Um, and she was she was asking me to get her mobile phone so she could phone her mum, which again... Yeah, it's probably a good sign. Uh, and I, fair play to the Cypriots. The, the emergency services were there in about five minutes. Wow. Um, and sort of took over dealing with, with what they could deal with. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'd, I got back into the car and Margaret was, was really shaken up by it. So, so I had to take over driving and we went to the quiz. <laughs> Just sat there going, wow, that was, that was kind of weird. Um, I've yeah. never been that close to an accident before, and I, I, I frankly, I'd be quite happy not to be uh, as close to one again. And it's such an mar- unreal experience. It is, yeah. And it was like um, Margaret described it really well. She was like, "It was like we were watching um, a film set with a stunt driver." Yes, um, because because <laughs> it was such a radical turn. Now, I, I don't know if um, I, I wrote a blog post on this and. Yeah, in Cyprus, lots of people use telephones when they're driving, uh, which is not mm-hmm. something I would recommend, folks. So, you know, they've got a phone in one hand and then, you know, often a, a can of coffee in the other and they're trying to drive. And it's <laughs> it, you know, it's all joyously Mosque Mediterranean yeah, yeah, until it goes wrong. And I, I don't know if that was the case. He'd just come off a bend and whether he was oversteering and suddenly, you know, sort of panic reaction to try and uh, correct something. I, I have no idea. And only only he will know. Um, but yeah, it was just weird. And, uh, the silence that follows the smash. Yeah. It's unnerving. (laughs) It's really like, wow. Um, See, the funny thing is I've been in both experiences. I've been very, very close to a crash. I wasn't involved, well, not directly involved. And I've also been on set when they're doing car crashes. Uh huh. So I've seen both things and they're very similar. They are very, very similar. It's a strange, I've never thought of it, but a hundred percent. Um, you're just a lot less worried when it's uh, a stunt driver crashing in mm. other cars, uh, whenever it's somewhat planned. Uh, but yeah, we were in a, we were coming home one day and at a set of lights, basically someone ran the lights and drove mm-hmm. into the back of someone else because they weren't looking where they were going sure. and smashed the back. So the girl in the car in front, again, very shaken, in shock. I think she maybe hurt her neck, but she was fine. She got out and walked away from the car and sat down on the footpath. So that was good. Uh, the guy in the car who crashed into her at the back um, basically was fine as well, got out, and 
his car started smoking and he took about three steps away from it and then it caught on fire and completely went up like 100 percent burnt to nothing um so i rang the fire brigade and the police and there was there was dozens of other people as well it was on a main dual carriageway so there was a lot of people there and this is kind of at a junction in the middle of it so it was almost both sides were affected the other side was mostly uh, mm. people rubbernecking but um yeah it took ages for the, the them to actually get to us because of the traffic that had backed up behind us um but yeah the car basically burnt away to nothing um about 15 20 feet from my car um because i couldn't get past mm. and it was just it's such a weird experience and the traffic lights at that junction were melted for 12 months for wow. over a year actually they were all like, like Salvador Dali melting uh, traffic lights because they hadn't fixed them. Uh, and every time we drove up and down that road, we remembered that was exactly the spot where the car basically mm. conflagrated to nothing. But it's such a weird experience because you've seen it in films. And normally when you're watching a film, it's Die Hard or something and explosions yeah. are great and it's all cheers. And they see it in real life and it's almost, it's too real and not in any way stylized. So the noises are very, very abrupt. Like a car smash is, is a big loud noise and then nothing. Yeah. There's no, you know, funky music. There's no, you know, quips and, and one-liners. It's just violence and then nothing. Yeah, no, I mean, it was the, the I'll call the car the aggressor, if you like. The aggressor <laughs> was leaking fuel and oil, which was running down the hill and under yeah. our car. Um, and so the smell of that as I was, as I was going to the, the smoking car, um, I, I suppose that heightened the awareness. It was like, mm. oh, hang on. That's <laughs> not good. I'm doing this, I'm thinking, hmm. <laughs> there's, there's a potential for this to go quite badly. <laughs> yeah, I can't help. I've watched, I've watched Final Destination too many times. I'm, I'm sitting there going, hmm, it's a chain of events I do not want to be part of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I came across, I don't know whether it was Final Destination 4 or something. It was one of those... I'm sure everybody listening has had one of these where you've come in from the pub, you've had uh-huh. a few beers, you've turned the TV on, you've no idea what you're watching. And in this particular instance, suddenly a double-decker bus or a greyhound bus obliterated a person in front of me. <laughs> so was, I'm not sure I've ever recovered from that. Um, <laughs> but yes, sorry, I'm off on a tangent. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, I suppose, maybe 20 vehicles stopped and... And there were three of us who pulled that girl out. Um, so I suppose everybody else had the good sense to go, no, they seem to have this handle. Like they got stay <laughs> Bystander effect, yeah. No, thanks. <laughs> yep, yeah, I'll be fine. Um, and as I say, um, the, the, the woman, uh, thankfully, when, when I left her, she was fine. Uh, I know they treated her afterwards. They, you know, they sort of got her lying down and stuff. But, um, you know, we'd sort of not carried her, but helped her away from the car and she was walking and moving and I don't think there was anything broken. Um, apart from clearly her faith in driving because, I mean, Margaret yeah. was, Margaret still relives it now and she goes, but she was just driving up the road and suddenly this car, essentially it would have hit her, would have hit her headlight, if you like. So mm, That's pretty much it, straight on. Yeah, it, it, it sort of came in at, at a 45 degree angle and you think, well, actually, if she'd been one meter further forward that Passing would come straight yeah, driver straight door. in driver door and and that would have been good night <sighs> Vienna. 
Um, and presumably she's having that exact same thought, you know, as, as she yeah. lies wherever she's lying or, or, you know, sits wherever she's sitting. Ooh. So, yeah, yeah, a new life experience. Let's be positive. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> It's good if you ever need to ride a car crash. Now you know what it feels like. Sure. I'm, I'm just going to tick that one off and say, yeah, I hope that doesn't happen again. <laughs> right. So it's now time for the three pin plug because uh, mm-hmm. there's no Brad. So it's not four pin. No. Nope. Uh, Three pin plug. I am Stu. Uh, that's at Stu Lennon on uh, Twitter. If you're in that sort of thing, I'm also uh, the proprietor of Nero'sNotes.co.uk, which is where you can go and buy wonderful notebooks, pens, pencils, and other ephemera. The Hovel pencil sharpener. For Hovel. Uh, and uh, well, as as you all heard last week, uh, w- we have some stock of not goods left, but I wouldn't hang about. Um, I also blog at uh, stuartlennon.com where I have a membership scheme for those people that want to support the creator directly, um, as they say. Uh, and you can also read uh, stuff that I write, some of which is quite funny, some of which is uh, a little bit more serious. What about you, TJ? Where can people find you? So my main presence is YouTube. Wooden Graphite is my video channel, Upbite Pencils. It's the number two pencil-based video channel on the internet. I make videos about pencils and pens sometimes uh, and paper and notebooks and all the good stuff that we talk about and that you sell. And you can also find me intermittently on Instagram where I'm trying to do a wee bit more. Um, I ask people, should I do some more Instagram story stuff and post some bits and pieces there more often? And there was at least eight people said yes. And so I'm taking that as a consensus and, and doing more on Instagram fantastic uh i'm on instagram too um uh, stuart lennon 587 and nero's note does 587 have any significance or was that just the number that was assigned to it's you it's the facebook username um... i have no idea why <laughs> it's, all, it's all beyond me oh boy um one thing i would say uh 1857 uh, which is this podcast if you didn't work that mm-hmm. out already uh, can be found at www.1857.co.uk. That's uh, 1857. Yep, where you can find uh, TJ's extensive show notes uh, and, of course, a catalogue of episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is also the ability there to press a button called Donation and make a donation. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can help with the the uh, funding of, uh, you know, podcast hosting fees and editing fees and all of that jazz. That that would be greatly appreciated. We'd love that. Very um, much so. Don't don't feel you have to, but if you can, we'd love it. Uh, and the other thing, we would really, really, really like to get some iTunes reviews. Uh, we've got a few, yeah. and we haven't asked for any recently. Um, and, well, I suppose as a consequence, we haven't got any. Um, so if you do have a minute... <laughs> iTunes is still the place that people go looking for podcasts. Yeah. So reviews help us come higher in the in the searches uh, and hopefully then find some more listeners. Yeah, and it then- costs you nothing to do, just a little bit of time, and you can really, really help us out. So I know a lot of people will listen to us say this and go, yeah, that's a good idea, and then never do it. Or some people will go, meh, I'd, I'd help, but just not today. Just take two minutes. Pause right here. Go leave a review presumably hopefully it's nice but i guess be honest um leave us a review and then come back and listen to the rest of the podcast because it really will make a difference even one or two people doing that will move the needle for us and that's very much appreciated indeed and the final bit before we get on to talking uh the final bit is um 
when we set this podcast up, which I'll have you know was very nearly 18 months ago, uh, we set up a, uh, well, it's a thing called a Twitter account. Uh, the, the older people will know what that is. Uh, the youngsters have got no idea and the really old people haven't a clue. But if you are in that demographic that knows what Twitter is in the middle, yeah, there is, uh, there is an account called, um, 1857 podcast. Uh, which we've now rediscovered. Uh, we've changed the password four or five times, but we've got to the point that we both know the password now. Um, if you could follow us and get other people to follow us, that would be great um, because it's been dormant for so long. So I think we've got something like 20 followers. Uh, we will be uh, doing teasers, uh, show information, etc., on that, and hopefully the occasional witticism. Um, I posted so a video put, of a robot. Today. You put a you put a robot out. Yeah, I was very very impressed. Um, <laughs> See, uh, I go and check the video out of a robot. At the very least, if you do nothing else, go and look at the video of the robot. I programmed Robothespian robot to say the closing lines of our podcast. I think that deserves at least a watch. Yeah, it certainly does, and uh, it also gave me a heart attack because I had no idea that you had the passwords. <laughs> so, so I'd yep. I'd programmed five or six tweets to go out, and suddenly another one went out. I was like, "Oh wow, that's spooky!" <laughs> and yeah, not only was it not me, away. it was a robot. <clears throat> <laughs> Sorry for that. Scary stuff. Anyway, that's quite enough of that. What are we talking about today, TJ? So this is a topic that you suggested, and it's one that I like a lot. It kind of um, amalgamates a couple of different ones we have on our topic list uh, of ideas to do. Uh, and I've sort of streamlined the title you picked, and, and it's going to be Health, Wealth, and Happiness. Or, as the Americans would say, uh, Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness, I guess. Mm-hmm. We fought for oh. these ideals. We shouldn't settle for less. Or some others would say life, liberty, and fruit of the loom. But uh, yeah, that's something entirely different. <laughs> so I think we both have a lot to say on a lot of these things. But I will preface with an interesting fact to open us up for the day. Okay. I, by choice, ate fish for the first time in two decades this afternoon. Good God, man. Yep. So... There you go. That that is a bombshell. I'm sure for anyone who knows me, um, it's not really. Well, I, don't, I was going to say on that bombshell, I'm going to go and get some ice. So you tell the <laughs> listeners why you've eaten some fish. <laughs> so I don't eat fish. My mother is terrified of fish. Has always been terrified of fish, and that has kind of come along to me in in that I am less than enthusiastic about eating anything from the sea. I think from the depths of my my memory i think i can remember eating fish fingers when i was in single digits um i have no idea who cooked them because my mother would not be caught near them uh, but i have eaten fish before but for at least 20 years i have avoided eating any fish going i don't eat fish i don't like fish i don't eat fish and today i had a cod and chorizo fish fish cake which i suppose is not a true it's not it's somewhat um tempered by the inclusion of the cake and the, the chorizo, but um, <laughs> it's the, still uh, fish and it's still a hell of a lot closer meat. than I've ever been. <laughs> well, there was cod in there. No, it's uh, listen, I'm, I'm not mocking. I think it's a great way to uh, introduce yourself to fish because cod in itself is not, is not the fishiest of fish, if I can say that. Yeah. Uh, and teamed with a bit of chorizo, I bet that was quite a nice fish cake. It was delightful. It was really yeah. good. And, it was a weird one because I smelled it and thought, 
oh, that smells good. And they went, that smells like fish. I hate fish. And then it was like, no, hold on. And so it was a real battle of the mind to be like, no, mm. stop it. This is not a decision you've made at this level. This smells good. It smells like good food. You will eat it because you're hungry. Not by making decisions at the top level about random things you don't eat for no reason. Well, and so I, it was kind of a, I fought myself on this one. Good fight. Good fight because you are about to discover a host of amazing food. Yeah. Proper fish. And I, I've never really eaten fish. So there's a lot of stuff there. There's a whole, uh, well, most of the planet is water. So I can now, if I keep eating fish, I guess, eat more of the planet. Indeed. And not only that, you live in a country <laughs> that does some brilliant fishing. <laughs> And some amazing fish I live in an island, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. you live in an island surrounded in the by Atlantic where, where the fish is yeah, really I, good. I also live beside the largest freshwater lake in Europe. So. <laughs> there you go. Ah, no, that, I have that, no that's excuse. Good. No, I think uh, it's a very, um, if, if I could say, it's a very British thing to, um, mm. to be nervous around fish. I mean, I've got um, friends coming in September. Um, and it harks back to Elijah Lloyd. He's Welsh, isn't it? He's from Swansea. There's lovely. <laughs> and uh, it's a great friend that I, I made in London. And we used to uh, well, uh, drink together quite a lot um, and play <laughs> golf. And he, he actually introduced me to playing golf regularly. So um, I, I thank him for that. And it's a, a lovely fella. And he's got what some people might see as the archetypal British diet. So um, he only really eats beige things. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fish, not so much. No, no, that's a little bit outside of his remit. I mean, it's sort of up there with vegetables. Doesn't doesn't do vegetables. <laughs> so we used to go for potatoes a, are not a vegetable. <laughs> exactly. We used to go for a Sunday roast, um, which to American. It's kind of what you would eat on Thanksgiving, that type of thing. Yeah, you know, it's pretty close. 25 different types of vegetables. And, stuff. and he would have the meat and the roast potatoes and the gravy. That's it. Special order. Hold anything that might be good for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this guy, this guy is now, I mean, he must be 40 now. I'm like, how have you got to that age? Without at some point going, mm, do you know, maybe I should eat some of this vegetable stuff. <laughs> a carrot. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> given, given that the media in the UK for the last, I don't know, 15 years has been banging on about five a day, five portions of fruit and vegetables. <laughs> anyway. But no, fish, fish is very unapproachable. And, um, mm. A lot of it is really intimidating. So, I mean, Margaret is Sicilian by birth and still very suspicious of fish. And if, if you, you know, if you slap a fish with head, eyes, gills, all that sort of in front of it, which is the Cypriot way of doing it, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll sort of take it out of the sea, bang its head and throw it on the grill, then throw it in front of you. And she looks at that and goes, Oh. This is a lot of hard work. There's bones everywhere. Which bits, bits do you eat? Do you not eat? You know, all of that stuff. And that puts people off. I'm convinced that puts a lot of people off. Um, 
And it's such a shame because there's some fish out there that, I mean, I can't wait to hear your report on swordfish, for example. That 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 should be something you go, should go looking for next. It's swordfish because yeah, it's it's meat. <laughs> Basically, they call they call it fish, <laughs> but it's meat, and it's you know it's really really tasty and very approachable. Mm. So this all came about because I would not normally eat fish. It's not something I would ever entertain the notion of. Uh, but I had a sort of on a health kick at the minute, and it's you know waxing and waning. But I had a health checkup through work, which is very good. Mm-hmm. And mostly positive, lots of thumbs up, lots of, yeah, that's good, that's moving in the right direction. One of the things they did highlight was cholesterol. And they were like, yeah, this is pretty much fine, but you're a little, just right over the threshold of like, mm, keep an eye on that. Um, and it was more about, I think, not enough omega-3, maybe too much omega-6, mm-hmm. uh, inflammation, all that stuff. And part of the problem is that I don't eat any fish. Yep. I don't eat anything from the sea. And so I don't really get those fatty oils, the omega-3s from, you can get them from nuts, you can get them from other things, but it's a lot easier to get them from fish. Yeah. And so the advice was, and it was brilliant. The guy who's doing the um, the exam was really good. He was like, well, yeah, I mean, you could eat nuts and you could do this and you want to watch, you don't eat high calories and that. There's a lot of reasons not to do this. He's like, really, really you should just, and then he kind of petered off and was like, you're I should just eat fish. I should just shut up and eat fish. Is that what you're saying? And he's like, well, I wouldn't be allowed to say that. But that's, broadly speaking, the direction in which I would travel. And it's like, okay. It's, so it, it's only a matter of time until, until we're sitting down with a big bowl of mussels in front of us and you're not <laughs> going pale at the very thought of eating them. Um, see, mussels, that's another... Yeah, anything it's going to take a while to yeah. get there. <laughs> Baby steps, you know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> let's let's not head for muscles just yet. <laughs> anything with Dealey Bobbers, as Megan would say, anything with Dealey Bobbers and not get involved with yet? <laughs> but, Shrimp and crustaceans and things with things that bob off the top of their head. No, thank you. But yeah, yeah. No, I mean, yeah I certainly get into those, but get someone else to do all the work on those initially. Don't, yeah, yeah you, you don't, as you say, you don't want to be pulling off the Dealey Bobbers. I, I enjoy pulling no. off the Dealey Bobbers, but mm, no. No, it's. So, I, yeah. It's um, it's funny. There's a, a what I call podcasting disease, because um, ah, what did I hear this? I think it was Accidental Tech. So Marco Arment had been um, with his his partner Tiff. They had been on a very low carb diet, which uh-huh. I was really interesting because that's what Margaret has done to um, reverse her diabetes uh, diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, uh, we've touched on this once or twice before, and I'm going to be careful not to go on a tangent. But essentially, the old advice from the National Health Service in the UK was, oh, diabetes too, it's all about obesity, and it's all about um, eating too much. And what you should do is cut out chips and eat baked potatoes. <laughs> Turns out, um, it's carbs, because diabetes is all about sugar, sugar is carbs, carbs are sugar. What you need to do is not eat carbs. That's mm-hmm. how you don't get diabetes or how you defeat and reverse type 2 diabetes. There are two types. But please don't correct me on the medical science of this. I'm talking very broad brushstrokes. So what Margaret did was went to a very low-carb diet and um, I joined in. Um, I would cheat at lunchtime because I was at work and I could do what the hell I wanted. Uh, and because I'm not diabetic, 
<laughs> so yeah. if I wanted a carbohydrate, it would happen at lunchtime. But generally speaking, um, I went very low carb too. Now, the thing with low carb is that people then uh, substitute the carbs for high protein, high fat, um, because that's what makes you feel full instead of the carbs. Uh, mm -hmm. And so your blood sugar sorts itself out if you're a diabetic person. Um, and in my case, years and years of being a very large chap that everybody goes, God, look at the size of poor Kirk. He's no stranger to a fish supper. That's He's a thing. big unit. Yeah, all of that. People <laughs> would then go, you must have terrible trouble with your blood test. And I go, no, they're absolutely perfect every time. And they were. And pe the doctors would look at the results and look at me and go, because my doctor, I told you it was Irish, is, your cholesterol's grand. I said, why are you so disbelieving of that, Dr. McGee? <laughs> <laughs> Just look at the size of you. Um, <laughs> and yeah. it was always great until I went onto this low-carb diet where suddenly, it, here in Cyprus, they went, hmm, cholesterol, it's a bit of an issue. Has it been an issue for long? I'm like, what? <laughs> it's an issue? <laughs> The exact same thing happened to Mark Well, but it's like, yes, you've lost weight. You're looking great. You're looking fantastic. Your cholesterol's through the roof. Um, <laughs> because, uh, you know, turns out, balance. You know, if you don't have a condition, then you should be eating a bit of everything, but not too much of anything. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, uh, fish, fish is a brilliant way of, of unlocking all sorts of health benefits. If you look at the the longest lived people uh, in our sort of sphere of the world, is, uh, are the Mediterraneans. Mm -hmm. Lots of and, fish, lots of olive oil, lots of healthy yeah, things. And none of the, none of them are frightened of a drink. They don't. They don't. They don't go into this whole yeah. abstinence nonsense. None of them drink as much as I do. There's another point. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that whole moderation thing. Um, but yeah, it's it's a fish. It's it's good healthy fat, and it's food that hasn't been a word Processed. you won't need. To, yes, that you won't need to bleep out. Um, mucked about with. Mm, yeah, that to me is very very much the key. Try and eat stuff as it comes out of the ground or off the tree. The the less messing about, the better. I'm convinced yeah. that that's the thing. And in the Slack recently, we had loads of um, uh, conversations and references. Uh, there was a great podcast reference called the, um, what came from, from, from Teresa. It was the, the Outliers, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where, you know, this, this woman has done a study of the studies uh, that sort of point to various and sundry things as being the root of all evil, you know, meat, for example, red meat. Um, and it's not. It's processed stuff. It's things that have got chemicals added, additives. Those are the things that our bodies are not built to deal with. Garbage, essentially. Mm. He says, sipping another brandy. I'm delighted you've eaten fish. Yeah. Are we, we going to have fish now fish. on the wedding menu? Well, let's not push it, Stu. Ah, come let's on, smoke salmon for starter. <laughs> come on. Um, I have been supplementing it with omega-3 tablets, which okay. are, some people will like that, some people will not like that. Mm -hmm. I currently do not eat enough fish, so I figured it's not going to hurt me to sure. take some more omega-3. It's good for the joints, it's good for everything else. Um, some really other interesting ideas that, that came out of this um, health consultation was one called exercise snacking. Have you yeah, heard of this? What's that? No. 
exercise snacking is, you know, you're sitting at your desk, you're working away, and you think, you know what, fancy a couple of push-ups, just knock 10 out, and then back to work, and you keep working away, and you do a little bit more work, and you know what, go do five lunges, and you just, just do a couple of lunges, and you go back to work, and then you do this, and, you, and, and then you're way up, you're like, yeah, maybe I'll just run this flight of stairs, just instead of taking the lift, I'll just jog up this, and just like a bag of crisps by your desk, just snacking on exercise, just taking little little nibbles of uh, mm-hmm. exercise throughout the day, just to build up that total level of exercise at the end of the day. Um, and I mean, it makes sense it, from a cumulative standpoint. Anything you do little and often is going to add up more than something you plan to do once and a lot and then don't. So <laughs> it, uh, it's I've been doing, doing a little bit. It's important, I think. Yeah. It's the doing, yeah. And the ask is so much less, right? So. Come home and go for a 10-mile run. No, thanks. Uh, do five push-ups while I'm waiting to take a phone call. Yeah, it's not terrible. Mm-hmm. Wall push-ups so you don't have to wreck your suit. You know, all these things that you can kind of slip in almost like a snack bar in between things. And it was a really interesting idea that I'd never really thought of, but it was the way you packaged it up and the way you talked about it. And it wasn't a hard sell. It wasn't like, this is a revolutionary idea. It was just like, this might work. Some people do this. I do it sometimes. And he had talked about, it. I think it was the, it was a charity, it was chest, heart and stroke came in and did these consultations for us. And they're the charity based in Northern Ireland here. And that might be UK actually, but yeah, they came in and he said that they do this in their office. So they have a big inflatable dice and once every hour, someone throws the big inflatable dice and whatever number it lands on constitutes a different exercise. And they all do that exercise for five minutes and that happens every hour. And that's a, that's a, top tier level version of that i say i'd be but in yeah, prison he said it was I'd weird be in came into the, the office the once and everyone's lunging <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 15 fatalities at local charity <laughs> exactly yeah. roll the dice it's a three go away <laughs> um but I, I do something similar but for completely different reasons um i uh we've talked about it again i think we talked about it but i use the apple watch um and the apple watch is default activity monitoring thing is that you should mm-hmm. you should exercise for 30 minutes which they define uh by elevated heart rate how elevated i don't know um but 30 minutes a day and then you set yourself a an active calorie goal um mm-hmm. which you know even walking up the stairs it, that would count for example and i think that defaults to 500 but you can adjust it um and it's really sad and it tells me everything i need to know about digital addiction and stuff but once i've set that target i have been known to walk around in circles in my lounge (laughs) to to burn those final calories yeah and every morning when i when i swim i go swimming here i okay yeah i i get it i'm lucky to have a pool but um Every morning that I swim, I try and um, pretty much bang out the the calorie target there and then, because there is for me there is no better feeling than waltzing into the office knowing that actually I don't have to do anything apart from stand up every hour for twelve hours yeah. um, to to hit the target, and it does work. It, it's it's a motivator, and I find myself then. When I when the watch the watch will prod you and say you've been sitting down for fifty minutes, get up, which is again is great because if you get 
you know, stuck into a book or into a project, it's really easy to lose four hours sitting down, which is yeah, is really bad for you. Then at that point, I will get up and I'll go outside and maybe I'll I'll go and throw a ball for the dog or run up the stairs or do so exercise snacking as I now know it's called um, just because I'm thinking okay I can knock off a few calories here and get closer to that goal because my, my horror is sort of going upstairs at sort of you know 7 o'clock at night thinking oh no I've got another 400 calories to do what am I going to do um, although, yeah although right now it's not a problem because uh, literally we are swimming at all hours of days days and night just trying to cool off um <laughs> But no, I think I think it's a it's a really good idea because the way that our working days and stuff are set up is not conducive to to moving. We weren't built, or we didn't evolve, shall we say, to be sitting on our backsides all day. And inevitably, mm-hmm. that's what more and more people are doing. Yeah, sedentary. Hmm. So, and then yeah. you've got you've got another link there that, or not link, but note three hundred days of health. What does that mean? So. It's just under 300 days, but in about 298 days or so, I will be going on my honeymoon, all going to plan. And so I don't want to be the same way that I am now. I don't want to be in the same health state that I am now, which is not bad. It's just not amazing. I've been better. Uh, I've been worse. But I'd rather be closer to where I want to be. So that's losing some weight. That's, you know... Uh, maybe bulking out and gaining a bit of muscle weight some places. It's just about getting closer to where I'm happy with it. And I've got about 300 days to do that. Mm-hmm. And whatever way you run the calculations and look at, you know, average weight loss, average weight gain, all those kind of things that you can you can figure out, it'll probably take with, you know, consistent effort about 150 to 200 days to do that. So I have slack. I have time. I have the the, the amount of time I have before the honeymoon is enough to achieve what I want to achieve. It's not an unreasonable goal. And so mm-hmm. that's my my motivation at the minute is that it's only 300 days. And if it's not 300 days and then you stop. It's 300 days and then you probably stop for two weeks because you're going to go eat all around yourself on your honeymoon. But it's not about doing something to finally get to a stage and then, yep, you're finished, done, excellent, plateau for the rest of your life. It's about establishing healthy routines. And this is something people talk about all the time. It's a, it's a lifestyle choice. It's changing how you do things long term and for me i'm looking at it as you got 300 days to get this right you got 300 days to try anything that you think might work and see what makes you feel better look better uh you know anything anything that works is good and so Mm -hmm. 300 days to try okay well i I suspect there's pitfalls um as well as positives in that absolutely yeah it's a good goal for me. Something to strive towards. You know, I want to be able and to do go. You, do you have exact and, measures and of what you're trying to achieve? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I know. I I'm not going to share them, but I, I no, know the no, numbers. Sure. I know the, I know what I want to do, um, and I know that they're achievable. But I know also that I'm a fallible human being who has sure. a track record of giving up on things like this because it's hard and because it involves concerted effort, and it's very easy to be motivated for sixty days, not three hundred. Are you uh, doing it different? To, uh, yeah, I'm tracking more. I'm actually somewhat counterintuitive. I'm going easier on myself. You know, it, I'm having a beer. Right, I've just finished a beer. Sure. Um, if I was in monk mode, super health kick, no, you can't have that. No, you can't have that. Don't have anything. Nice things are not allowed. But 
that's not sustainable, nor is it fun, nor is it what I want. You know, that's not how I want to live mm. at any stage, never mind, you know, in progress type thing. So for me, it's more finding a balance of, okay, what's important? Do you want a beer when you sit and chat at Stu tonight? Yeah, I'd like that. That'd be really nice. Do you need three beers? No, probably not. Do you need mm-hmm. to eat chocolate after or before that? No, realistically, I don't. You know, it's it's about understanding what I actually want. And it kind of comes into the, the third part of this. It's the happiness part of it. It's like, yeah, you are a free will creature. You can do anything you want. You can sit here and eat Cadbury's dairy milk until you <laughs> can't eat dairy milk anymore. But will that make you happy? Will that make me happy? And that's what I'm really balancing up now with like, okay, what works? What actually makes you happy? So does going out and having a coffee with Megan and sitting down and having a really nice, you know, latte or something and a really nice bun, is that amazing? Is that is that the best expenditure of whatever that is? Money, time, effort, calories, whatever? If it's yes, then yeah, great, do it. If it's like, eh, I'm kind of just doing it because it seems like something to do other than not doing it. Like if there's ambivalence, then I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's trying to root that out of my behaviors because it's very easy to fall into, uh, like the the tracks worn in the in your habits. It's very easy for me to just do what I do because I do it rather than because it's like what I want. You know, for sure. And it's something I think it's a very personal journey. It's a very uh, individual thing, and what works for me will not work for others, and and vice versa. But I'm going easier on myself. And I'm finding that because of that, because I'm giving myself more slack, I'm being more disciplined. You know, and and in terms of the, um, you sort of mentioned, you know, maybe muscle tone and all that stuff. Are you, you yeah. going to join a gym or cycle or swim or walk? Or, yeah, I mean, is I, there I'm, an I'm, action plan for that? There is a, an action plan of sorts. Again, I'm still working out what the optimum strategies are, but I have been doing a lot of um, kettlebell swings and arm lifts and stuff in the house. I'm trying to do that. With the snacking at the minute, that's something I'm trying. Like when we were sitting after dinner where we were watching a few videos and, and planning some honeymoon stuff and I was doing kettlebell raises on my arms and shoulders and neck just while we were sitting, just so that I could do something. Uh, I'll probably do some more before I go to bed. It's just about, can I add these into my lifestyle? Can I add these into my routine in a way that doesn't impact negatively anything I already do? So I could join a gym. There's a gym not that far from me. Um wouldn't be an issue to, to pay for it. Wouldn't be an issue to get to it. Wouldn't be an issue. But I'm thinking, am I going to go to the gym after work when I want to make videos or when I want to do this? There's a lot of things in my life that require time. And do I have the time to dedicate to go to the gym? Do I want to wake up at 5 a.m. so I can go to the gym and then go to work at 7? You know, to get home, to be ready for 6, to get, you know, there's a lot of things that I could do. Whether I want to do them or whether I will do them is another matter. And so for now, I'm like, okay, what can you add in now that will make a difference? Because it's cumulative. If I can do it and then it works and do it for another 200 days, that's going to be a hell of a lot more effective than, you know, joining the gym, staying for a month, paying for another month after that, but not going and then canceling it. Sure. I mean, I think but one yeah. of the things that worked um, really well for, for Margaret uh, and for me, actually, was the, you know, when we embarked upon the the sort of get a bit fitter, um, lose some weight, reduce mm. the carbs sort of project, um, there was a week that was proper hardcore boot camp, 
Um, I was starving. <laughs> I was <laughs> famished for a week. And uh, she termed it, and the book she was following termed it as sort of, you know, breaking that sugar addiction where yeah, where your body is craving it because you keep giving it. So you, you break that cycle. And, you know, even, even things like, you know, apples were off limits because they're, you know, carbs. Okay, they're, they're probably the better type of carb, but they're yeah. still carbs. Um, and the great thing about that sort of boot camp week, although it was hard and, you know, to the extent that we got headaches and all sorts, we were eating, um, well, she was eating 800 calories a day. Jeez, I was, nothing. I was eating probably a bit more than that. Um, but I was also walking nine miles a day. So I needed to eat a bit more. Um, but doing that, the results were so rapid because, you know, if you start looking after your, your diet, you know, the, the first week is amazing just because your fluid retention improves. <laughs> and so, you <laughs> you know, you lose like two, three kilos. Yeah, God, do this for 10 weeks. I'll be half the man I was. Um, <laughs> of course, it doesn't carry on like that, but it's that great impetus, that sort of, you know, reward cycle. We go, okay, yeah, this is working. Yeah. Okay. Um, whereas some of the sort of more sustainable, long-lasting change won't bring you that result so quickly. So what was great for us was having that bit of balance. So for the last, I suppose, four weeks, um, I've been doing something similar to you. So I, I've turned up the dial on the exercise a bit, uh, and I've turned down the dial on um, on carbs, on you know, the basic things, yeah. Don't eat bread every time you think about food. Don't eat <laughs> a very cookie. British thing. Yeah, don't eat a cookie every time you walk past the jar type thing. You know, and just doing that has had very, very limited impact uh, sort of on a day-to-day weighing myself. But if you look at my silhouette, it's changed. So I, while Margaret was away, I was golfing every day, I was swimming every day. And I've got, I have a tendency towards big shoulders because I used to play rugby and and suddenly my shoulders are coming back to being big that's not had a huge impact on the size of my belly <laughs> but <laughs> I, I'm carrying the weight a bit better and yeah I'm beginning to feel fitter and I can walk further and swim further and stuff and it's, it's a slower burn but that would have wouldn't have been enough for me when we sort of started this this journey when when I lost a load of weight mm-hmm. Um, and that, that sort of kickstart week is something I would think about in your position, just because, you know, if four weeks from now you're not feeling that you're making any progress, you know, uh, I think you need yeah. a little progress reward every now and again. And it doesn't even need to be a week, I think. It's just a few days where you force yourself to drink more water, uh, you know, walk a bit further, dodge the bread, you know. In Ireland, I mean, if you if you give up bread and potatoes, a you'll cut your calorific uh, intake by about fifty percent, um, and b I think you get an instant you get an instant response on on yeah. the scales. Well, that's no, little all, things. So yeah, no, all power fish, to you, mate. So it's having a great fish start. and I've eaten carrots. Carrots are a big thing. I've started eating now yeah. um, for lunches and things like that. So normally for lunch. Uh, if I'm in lazy mode, it would be, you know, either bring someone with me or 
you nip around to the shop, see what's there, maybe get a sandwich, maybe get some sort of salad bowl. You know, nothing particularly good. Lots of processed stuff, lots yeah. of you know, quick decisions rather than good decisions. Um, whereas now I'm going, okay, take the time on a Sunday, do a little bit of work. So I'm cooking up some chicken thigh portions mm-hmm. um, with, with minimal anything, just nice, fresh cooked chicken. Uh, and then carrots and hummus. So mm-hmm. lots of veggies, lots of, you know, a little bit of healthy fats, that kind of thing. And trying to just eat carrots like I would eat crisps. And that's a really hard thing to to do if you know what crisps taste like. Because sure. let me tell you, crisps are so much better. But what I realized, and this is something that was funny, funny. I was, I ate, what, five, six big carrots today for lunch as mm-hmm. part of my lunch. Um and what I found was I was, you know, watching videos or, or writing things and doing bits and pieces on my lunch break. And the reason I started eating carrots, and I, I wouldn't even say that I liked carrots that much before this, but the reason I started doing it is because, like, I think I'm only doing this out of habit. I think I just want something to do with my hands. It's yeah, the sure. methodical grabbing something, chewing something, grabbing something, chewing something while you're watching a video or while you're doing something else. It's like popcorn in the cinema. I think it was a habit. I thought, okay. Let's test this. Let's see if I can do the same methodical, like, don't focus on what you're eating, just, just snack until you're not hungry anymore. And I did it with carrots. And it took a little bit of getting used to. Like raw carrots are not the same as uh, salt and vinegar crisps. But I realized after about three days that I was just eating carrots and chomping through three or four of them and going, yeah, I'm full now. It was a lot of vegetables. Oh, oh, that was a lot of vegetables. And I didn't, you know, Sure. It was that light bulb moment of, oh, I wasn't hungry. I was bored. Okay, good. I'm glad I'm eating carrots. It's it's a really really powerful thing that you've stumbled on because mm. um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go slightly off piste. Hey, who knew me off piste? Um, <laughs> it took me. Uh, oh, gonna do some math here. Um, uh, let's call it let's call it 25 years to work out. Uh, how to stop smoking and the the key to it uh, brace yourselves is not to smoke and <laughs> the reason it took so long is for that that exact reason that you talk about where i thought and i would swear and i would fight my corner viciously that i enjoyed smoking until i started reading stuff and talking to people, he said, well, actually, are you sure? Are you sure you enjoy it? I'm like, well, of course I enjoy it. That's why I do it. Yeah, yeah, okay. So given that you do it, you're likely to say that you enjoy it. But is one thing causal to the other? Um, what do you mean? And there's a logic to all this. I mean, if you, you know, your first cigarette as a kid, you cough. Because your body automatically goes, that's poison, I don't want it. And and you have to sort of push through that and you have to force yourself <laughs> to smoke. Um, and having done all that, you immediately turn around and go, well, I enjoy it. Because you'd be an idiot if you didn't enjoy it, wouldn't you? And you don't want to admit you're an idiot. So you say you enjoy it. <laughs> and this whole sort of mental association game that you're talking about with uh, with crisps or carrots or, you know, I just want to be eating something. That's how smoking works. Sure, there's there's a physical addiction as well that it takes broadly 20 minutes for the amount of nicotine in your blood to halve. Which is why most smokers, given a free reign, will smoke about three cigarettes an hour. Because after, tw- after 20 minutes, 
the nicotine has gone down to half and your body's saying, oh yeah, kind of missing that nicotine now. To break that addiction only takes three days. It does not take long because your body is a is an incredible machine and it soon goes, okay, yeah, right, okay, so we're done with that. We're doing something else now, fine. But the mental battle, that's huge because you've spent mm. months, possibly years, convincing yourself how you either like smoking or need to smoke or both. Yeah, or both, yeah. And those associations that you're doing now where you say, okay, well, let, let me see if this still holds true with a carrot rather than a packet of crisps. <laughs> That's the exact same thing that you do with smoking. That you, you begin to learn that actually, God, why am I feeling nervous? Well, you're feeling nervous in the first three days because of a physical thing. But once that's over, why am I feeling nervous? It's like, well, because my my brain is going, I should be doing something now. So yeah. would sucking a pencil be okay and for me it was walking around the block so because i worked in an office um and i owned the company i could i could take breaks if i wanted to um <laughs> and so i would get up i go and instead of going out for a cigarette as i used to do i said right i'm gonna go for a walk and i'd walk around the block and sometimes i would be walking furiously <laughs> quickly as an addict, going, oh, I want a cigarette, I want a cigarette, I want a cigarette, I want a cigarette. And I'd walk it off. I'd literally walk it off. And and the the whole double-edged sword of that was that I soon understood that, oh, okay, I want a cigarette now because in my previous life, I've, you know, I've just finished a document. So this is punctuation time. I want a cigarette. Or, you know, yeah. I other people that would reach for a bit of chocolate or would make a coffee. Or... I also know some really fit people who go, oh, let's go for a run. It's like, finished the document. <laughs> but, you know, outside of those strange people, um, that's exactly how it works with food. The amount of times I find myself um, working down, because I work down in the basement, there's no kitchen here. I have to go upstairs. But if I work upstairs, because Margaret's gone out and so I'm looking after the dog or whatever, and I'm working upstairs, I'll finish a document and I'll immediately go, oh, maybe I'll have an espresso. Oh, I have a cookie with my espresso. Oh, what's in the fridge? Oh, oh, jam. Oh, crackers. Oh, way. And before you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm back to my yeah, my eight meals a day. But it's it's all habit. It's all about substitution. So, um, if you feel uh, uh, when you feel hungry, drink water. That's yeah. another great trick um, because it will fill your tummy just the same as food would. Except. Actually, you're not hungry at all. You're maybe craving something, but you're not hungry. Yeah. And it's learning those things that I think make all the difference. Like today, we ate, we played golf together this morning, Margaret and I. Uh, and normally, after a round of golf, we're both ravenous. Um, now, she didn't walk today because she's got more sense than me. She she got a, a little buggy thing. So I wasn't that surprised that she wasn't hungry. But what I was really surprised, I wasn't hungry. I came home and had a swim and we ate once today which i kind of think is how things will work for us in cyprus because because of the weather more than anything else um but it's learning that oh actually i'm not hungry i don't need to sit down and have a meal because it's lunch yeah i'm not hungry uh and as you say if i do feel a bit peckish reaching for a bit of carrot rather than a bit of cookie <laughs> <laughs> however as we record i'm still you know well, I'm going to be what 260 pounds in my socks. So, work to do. Yeah. What about the you and me both? 
What about the uh, the other elements? What about uh, you're taller than me? You can carry it better. <laughs> we, we're talking about health, wealth, and happiness. So wealth, wealth. So we've done health and we touched on happiness. Wealth is one of those ones that. So I wrote something in the show notes, and you've amended that with uh, the, is the show note version of screaming at me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, capitals and exclamation marks. Yeah. <laughs> so my fiduciary education has been a long time going and it's still going and it's one of those ones that they don't really teach you anything useful in school mm-hmm. um so mortgages and budgeting and anything that would be remotely helpful mm-hmm. not taught in schools long division yep teach you that not <laughs> how to balance a checkbook not how to make sure you can you know pay for groceries and not on credit things like that so i've done a lot of reading i've done a lot of uh, research and not necessarily academic uh, just sort of anecdotal and interesting stories and, and Reddit and various YouTube channels, lots of things to try and intake a lot of information. And, you know, I have a pension. I have a very good pension through work, and that's good. And I save about 10% of everything I earn and don't touch it. And I also save a lot of money as well. So I probably save, you know, close to, th- uh, probably close to half. I'd say not three quarters. It used to be three quarters. But now that we have the house, there's lots of other expenses. Close mm-hmm. to half I save of my income every month and I'm trying to be good about it. I'm trying to balance things and it's very hard to know what the right option is. It's very hard to know what will work. Um, you know, we, we bought our house in November there. That was, uh, the most stressful single event in my entire life. Very, very rewarding, very, very interesting, but, oh, I think it literally took years off me, mm-hmm. but you know, you plan it for the future. You're planning for literally decades, hopefully decades in the future. Um, and there's a lot of knowledge about, well, you should be investing in this, you should put money into that, and, oh, you never do this, and you always do that. And there's a lot of misinformation. And I think this will also be different in the States or in Europe than in the UK. And it's very hard to know what the right option is. Sure. For me, anyway. Um, yeah. I, the, the thing I wrote no on was, um, <laughs> wait, wait, you'd written about stocks and shares. Yeah. Um, it took me... Uh, a long time to get to this and i worked and still work in in financial services and um with the greatest of respect to any financial services employees listening uh most of it's a con so (laughs) you can make money investing in stocks and shares but you making money is a byproduct of the brokerage or management company making money. So what happens typically if you if you go into uh, the same is true of pensions incidentally. So you go into a, a pension scheme or a stocks and shares scheme, they're basically the same thing. And you are charged an annual fee, usually a percentage, of the value of your fund. Whether your fund goes up or goes down makes no difference to the people that are managing the fund. Obviously, if they lose all of your money, you're likely to be unhappy, you're likely to be noisy, and therefore there are people that won't invest in their fund, which would would be bad for them. But obviously all they do is close down the fund and open another one in a different name. So, managed funds 
don't get me wrong, can work really, really well, but it's entirely an accident. <laughs> if you say stocks and shares, as in, I know this guy, John, who's got a company that makes widgets, and I think those widgets are going to be in demand, and I think John is a very capable man, and I'm going to give him a thousand euros of my money in the hope that he will give me a return year on year or an appreciation. That's different. Um, I think was, I, I'm not sure, and people may well correct me on Twitter, but I think it was Warren Buffett that said, don't invest in anything you don't understand. And all of this stuff, the, the financial crisis, for example, you know, the big short and all that, that was just people investing in stuff they didn't understand. Mm -hmm. and that was people like me and you giving our money to brokers who are saying yeah well it's this great thing that does this and it does that and it, uh, you know stocks and shares over the last 25 years have outperformed banks by this amount i mean look you can't go wrong oh 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 it did go wrong yeah sorry about that and you know people got wiped out and the people that get wiped out are not the guys that own massive banks it's you know people like me, you, and, and people listening to this podcast who put money in. So <laughs> don't invest in anything you don't understand. If there are complicated words being used, eh. it smells like a rat probably because it's a rat. <laughs> and increasingly, the more people that, that I speak to about this, and I go, okay, so what does that mean? You would be astonished the amount of Stocks and shares traders who don't know what a derivative is. They can sell you one, but they've got no idea what it is. And, you know, subprime and all, all of those, those wonderful things, all the things that, that happened, by the way, in 2008 and brought down pretty much the world's economy, all of the causes of that are now being done again. We are just 10 years past and the exact same products are being sold to pretty much the exact same people <laughs> and the results will be exactly the same because the people selling them have no interest in the outcome. They don't care because they're making their money year on year. So you put in a hundred thousand euro, I put in a hundred thousand euro, they're gonna get a percentage of our hundred thousand euro. If they get a percentage of ninety thousand euro the next year, okay, it's not as good as a hundred thousand and it's not as good as a hundred and ten thousand, but hey the difference is actually pretty small when you get down to two percent. So do you know what? We'll take it, because what we're gonna focus on is getting another hundred thousand from listener A. The system is set up for the people that run the system and make the money off the system. What it is not set up for is the people that are investing in it. The things that you do with money, you've started off the right way. It's a tangible asset. <laughs> the, you know, the world can come to an end. The economy can collapse and you can go, well, this is my house. I live in it. <laughs> it keeps me dry. And so it has a purpose. And those are the only things you should borrow for. <laughs>
is an asset like that. Never borrow for a car because the car depreciates. So if you want a shiny Mercedes, great. Earn the money to afford a shiny Mercedes. But don't buy one on leasing. It's nonsense. <laughs> this is from a man who bought several cars on leasing. But it, the the older you get and the more you look at this and the more you read about it, which I know is your thing, just to go and investigate, all of the same mistakes are being made. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I appreciate you know people, I know people, we all know people. But it's so easy to go, oh, yeah, but, you know, John wouldn't wouldn't sell me a pup. Yes, yeah. John, yes, John would. Because John's only telling you what Dave told him. And Dave's a good guy and Dave wouldn't sell him a pup. And eventually you get to 25 degrees of separation and somebody was selling pups. <laughs> and we all go, oh, <laughs> Oh, whoops. Yeah, and John goes, well, it wasn't me, TJ. And you go, yeah, no, no, but it was my money. Yeah. Wealth, and I wrote in my show, it's wealth is the key to wealth, and that's it. Nothing else. Um, I've I've got friends who are, um, I suppose, historically wealthy. Is that the right phrase? You know, family money, old yeah. money. Um, and... Uh, one, good Lord, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the secret to their wealth. They don't spend anything. They are the tightest people in the world. You will never see somebody posh buying a fitted kitchen. There you are. There's, there's something to test. People like you and I buy fitted kitchens. People that want to make the kitchen look nice. Posh people look at the kitchen as somewhere that food is made. They'll spend money on the dining room table. Ah, that's okay. that just an observation, just an observation. But um, all of those basic rules that we don't, as you say, get taught, but kind of learn about wealth are true. Don't spend anything if you don't have to. Spend money on things that you enjoy, but recognize that you're spending the money. If you're investing the money, invest it in something you can sell which comes back again to property or if you want diamonds and gold and all that sort of stuff <laughs> but com but company yeah bitcoin maybe not bitcoin but companies uh, if you buy a slice of i don't know apple or uh, amazon or uh, you know in 3 years it might be worthless and when financial advisors say to you, you know, what's your appetite for risk? What that means is there's a chance this money will be gone in 12 months. You will have no recourse. You will not be able to get it back. It's gone as if you had spent it on beer and drunk it, but you won't feel as good. <laughs> or as bad. Or as bad that the morning after. But I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, that's what it is. That's what investment is in a company. So yeah. um, you take those, uh, I don't know, Bear Stearns. You know, I'm going to buy stocks in Bear Stearns. Oh, it's gone bust. Oh, right. So what does that mean? Well, it means that your £10,000 is now worth nothing. Oh. You don't have that appetite for risk. I don't have that appetite for risk. Most sensible, insane people do not have that appetite for risk. <laughs> the house where you live, okay, it's worth 10% less than it was last year. Okay, I don't care. I still live here. It's fine. <laughs> it's still a roof. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, the house that you rent out to someone else it used to make you a thousand pounds a month. It only makes you nine hundred pounds a month, but it's still worth, I don't know, a hundred thousand. Okay, well that's not great, but it's all right. The ten thousand pounds that you put in this fund is gone. Ah, uh, there, there we go. I'm going to stop now before I um, frighten the life out of everybody. But <laughs> stocks and shares, really, <laughs> honestly, no. Mm. Just be I think careful. That, was, that sums it up. <laughs> and yeah, just and do it directly. You know, if you want to own a bit of Amazon, buy a bit of Amazon, but don't get someone else to, in inverted commas, manage your money because they won't manage your money. Now the final one, because we've only been going one hour forty, we've got another oh, three or four hours to go. I'd say <laughs> happiness. What's the key to happiness? A good notebook. Okay, well, a good notebook is clearly part of it. <laughs> <laughs> again wealth was always a huge thing for me I was really really ambitious to make money really wanted to make money and that's why I got into the job that I got into that's why I was um, so um, ruthless would be the wrong word focused on you know advancing and, and moving forward and then setting up my own business and all that stuff because I thought that if I could make enough money it would make me really happy um and don't get me wrong, making money is great, and I, I'm all for it. Uh, but it has nothing to do with happiness. Absolutely nothing to do with it. Uh, there's a danger, of course, that you sound, or that I sound sort of, you know, privileged. Yeah, you've made some money. Okay, I've made some money. I've spent more than I've made, generally. Um, <laughs> which which I, I consider to be, uh, uh, you know, one of the positives of my character. But... Um, Happiness is about all the things that you kind of knew it was about when you were eight. So <laughs> they have a much firmer grasp of what makes people happy than we do, eight-year-olds. Yeah, it's absolutely true. All of those simple things um, are are the most important. I was um, I was in the pool going, oh, it's art, it's art, it's art, and Spice was running around the pool uh, trying to catch the water that I would splash. So I would bang my hand. She would try and catch the water. She's been in the pool a couple of times. She's not a big fan of it. Um, but she does like running around the outside of it and chasing the drops. And she was just having the best time running around. And I was having the best time playing with her. That's happiness. Things yeah. that make you laugh and smile. And uh, not how much your bank balance is or... Um, whether you're going to be promoted to top paper pusher in your job or, you know, all of those things that, that we are conditioned to believe make us happy. I'm not sure they do. I mean, don't get me wrong. If you're going to be rich or poor, hey, rich wins. But happiness is an entirely different thing. Wealth is about wealth. Wealth helps you understand wealth. But the more money you have, the more that you spend. And at the end of the day, I don't think you're any happier. If I go out and spend uh, £10 tomorrow or £100 a day after, I don't feel happier one day than the other. Yeah. Well, given that I'm a Scot, spending £100 is scary. But <laughs> what about you? What, what do you see as the key to happiness? I don't know. I I can't sit here at 27 year olds, years old and purport to have the answer to happiness because that's disingenuous. But I have find that I'm happier when I focus less on the things that people tell me matter and more on the things that I feel like matter 
and that that little voice in my head that I sometimes push down in pursuit of other other things. So it's you know it's like what you say it's, it's spending time with your significant other, your with your family. It's mm-hmm. enjoying little things. Maybe it's a notebook. Maybe it is a walk. Maybe it's a pet. You know, those things seem like the the footnotes of your your life story, but I think probably they're the story, and everything else is just filler. Mm-hmm. And just, I don't know. I think it's like the carrots, right? It's, you think things will make you happy. You think stuff will help. And it can. That's not to say that a nice car is not enjoyable or a holiday is not fun. But they should be a vehicle for things that you enjoy, not a means to an end. The, the, you know, the goal is not them and themselves. Mm-hmm. So you don't get a Ferrari and then you're like, right, well. That's me done then. Happy days. Sorted. You know, that owning the Ferrari is not the happiness. Driving it is the happiness. Sharing it with people. You know, having the, the moments and the memories alongside it are what matters. And, you know, I didn't have a car for uh, about a year. And I got this absolute claptrap Ford. It's a piece of junk. and But it's great. And I drove it, you know, for the first time last week, or the week before. And I was like, oh, I miss driving. That's good. And then I went and I hoovered it out and I washed it and I waxed it and I cleaned it. It looks perfect. I don't have messy anything. So I cleaned the car. It looks pristine. And it is a piece of crap. Like it does not deserve any effort whatsoever. But it looks amazing. And it's dented. And there's scratches. And there's things that shouldn't be falling off that are. And things that should fall off that aren't. And it's crap. But it looks really good. And every time I sit in it and it smells nice and it's nice and clean, I go, oh, I like this car. It's my car. And it, it doesn't matter that it's crap. It doesn't matter that it's it's not the car that I would buy if I had all the money in the world to buy a car. I get a really good chunk of enjoyment out of driving that car because of the way I framed it. You know, it's not the car I'd pick. It's not the car that I wanted. But it's also not a car that I hate. And I, it gets me where I need to go. It costs me almost nothing. It's really handy to have. It, you know, it basically fell into my lap for almost nothing. It's one of those things where you think, well, what would a big, chunky 4x4 Land Rover amazing, you know, blacked out Defender thing, what would that do that this doesn't? I mean, it'd probably climb a hill a bit better. It would be nicer to sit in. But would it drive better? Would it actually get me to anywhere faster? And the the functional differences are slim. And if you can frame the other differences and things that like, yeah, this is just good or it's, I don't mind. And someday maybe I'll have that, but for now I don't need to to worry. Mm -hmm. Just, I don't know. Enjoying the little things is super important. And it's, I am not the first person to say it. I'll not be the last person to say it. And I do not purport to have any special knowledge, but I find that, that really leaning into those and being present and enjoying them makes me far happier than material goods and, and the acquisition of things ever could. Absolutely. I'm going to say something contentious because why wouldn't I? Um, <laughs> uh, happiness is a choice. This is something that I mm. believe fervently and I completely accept that there are uh, exceptions to that. However, it's the whole sort of, you know, if life gives you lemons, make lemonade. All of those platitudes, they all come from hard one experience that people have had. 
where they've observed people who, you know, by all of the objective standard measures, shouldn't be having a good time and yet do. And it's, as you say, it's about laughing. It's about um, looking at a situation and going, isn't this great? So, you know, when Margaret and I were sort of looking at each other going, oh, God, it's so humid on the heart. Oh, well, actually, hang on. Look, you know, the sky's blue. It's gorgeous here. It's lovely. Sure, (laughs) we feel hot, um, partly because we're not terribly acclimatized in my case because well let's face it 30 pounds could disappear from my midriff and i'd probably feel a little less hot but uh, that's a great problem to have you know as uh, the scale of problems (laughs) that people can have this is a good one yeah that's Um, up there and it's a choice It, it being happy about a situation whatever that situation may be is a choice and you know we all know people that are going through really hard things and and difficulties you know margaret's got a friend who's just lost her mother um i've got a friend who's having a tough time just with life generally he's in one of those places where life is just kicking him in the nuts a lot and yeah i think having a bit of perspective and you know that old-fashioned thing of counting your blessings and going do you know what this might not be perfect and that might not be perfect but overall i'm doing okay here yeah life is is being kind to me and and taking the time to sort of recognize that and to smile and to be grateful for that and to be humble about that, maybe you can make somebody else smile a little bit and you know pay it forward as as they used to yeah. say. Um, I think you're right in that it's a choice. It's a something. That it's not. It's a choice, but it's also something you got to work at, right? It's oh, not something. Yeah. It's not. It shouldn't be a switch you can flick. That sort of makes uh, paints it as a very trivial thing. It's not just like oh, we're happy now. It's it takes effort, it takes work, but it's a reframing of your perspective. And one of the things that made me think about this the most is when I started reading reading Stoic philosopher stuff maybe three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. And I've just looked it up. Seneca has a really good quote on this that's kind of everything we're trying to say, but actually cogent and smart. Oh, um that won't fit. True in. happiness <laughs> True happiness is to enjoy the present without anxious dependence upon the future. Not to amuse ourselves with either hopes or fears, but to rest satisfied with what we have, which is sufficient. For he that is so wants nothing. The greatest blessings of mankind are within us and within our reach. A wise man is content with his lot, whatever it may be, without wishing for what he has not. Wow. So that was live for the moment, but in 45,000 words, was it? Yeah. Live, laugh, love, I think is the, the oh, truncated version. There we go. God, somebody should make a t-shirt <laughs> with that on it. <laughs> or some wall vinyl, perhaps, and then put it yeah, above the kitchen. There you go. I have to say, I mean, listening to Brad last week was, was inspiring to me. Yeah. I mean, here's someone who's been, you know, by his own admission, struggling with depression for a long time. And you would never, you would never perceive that from the way that he looks at life and the way he embraces life. I mean, obviously, I only see his, you know, his public projection. Outward stuff, like, yeah. Yeah, the social media. But um, yeah, how inspiring. That but what he does is he goes out and tries to make other people, you know, help them do that. It's a service for him. It's like, okay, I'm going through something. I will feel better, I guess, if I can make someone else's day a little easier. Yeah. That's what I got from it. And that was an amazing thing of like, 
oh, of course. I mean, that, that's so yeah. obvious. Like it's it's the little going, things, as she said. It's the yeah. little things. Yeah, it's the little things. Well, I think we've reached that point where I should say, I've been Stuart Lowe. And I've been TJ Cosgrove. Remember to make the past, the present, in the future. This was 1857. I'm going to stop quoting Seneca now because it makes me sound very hoity-toity, high and mighty. Seneca me up. I'm going to hit the yellow button. (laughs) Me too.